Hello everyone and welcome to this podcast on Diabetes Care at Home. My name is DR and I will be your host for today. For today's podcast, I'm excited to have Peter Torschman with me to discuss a topic that is very important when it comes to diabetes management, but may often be overlooked during consults. I should also mention that today's podcast is sponsored by Pharmacodiabetes. Just a bit of background about our speaker today, Peter is a CDE and a diabetes nurse practitioner and enjoys working collaboratively between all sectors of the health community as a senior nursing clinician while maintaining her focus on the care of people with diabetes in the primary care sector. She is passionate about private practice and enjoys working in a specialty that is meaningful, constantly changing and intellectually stimulating. She has also contributed to the ADEA as chair of the ADEA Queensland branch, private practice special interest group and clinical practice review committee and represents ADEA on Diabetes Australia's medical, educational and scientific committee. Peter, thank you so much for joining us. How have you been? been? Hi, dear. I'm great. Thank you. I'm, I'm looking forward to our chat today. Excellent. So am I. Well, look, to start off with, can you um, just explain to us a bit about diabetes care in the home setting, especially when considering special populations like the elderly, given that we currently live in an ageing population? Yes, yeah, it's an important topic. Uh, and I think we all want to live well as we get older. But the reality is that we're more likely to develop issues with our health as we age. And diabetes crosses the spectrum of all human disease states. As diabetes healthcare professionals, we know we've done our job well if our clients live to be elderly. For an older person living at home with diabetes and multiple medical conditions, we need to think beyond the old triad of diet, exercise and medication. We now need to consider medical, psychological, functional and social aspects of ageing, which affect our quality of life and ability to self-care. A diabetes self-management assessment helps us to individually assess those risks and to develop a diabetes management plan, which reduces those risks while offering the person the dignity of independence. If we consider diabetes self-care and self-checks as part of diabetes care at home, how often should clients engage in this practice, Peter? Yeah, it's a, that's a really broad question, DR, and the answer could really look different for everybody. You could say that diabetes self-care occurs 24-7, but an important aspect of the work of the CDE is to assess each person individually and to identify self-care behaviours that are helpful and others that are not. And that will inform the diabetes management plan and in turn the necessary aspects of diabetes self-management that we want to focus on. There are some really useful guidelines out there which can help to answer those questions. For example, Diabetes Canada's guidelines for diabetes in older people discuss the importance of functional independence regardless of age. And they suggest that if an older person with diabetes is functionally independent and has a life expectancy of beyond 10 years, that their goals and diabetes should be similar to a younger person. And the RACGP's Management of Type 2 Diabetes Handbook includes a consensus framework to help stratify those risks and set goals and targets which align with the ADS guidelines for individualisation of HbA1c targets. That's very good to know, Peter. Now, let's talk a bit about um, blood glucose monitoring. Um, And um, I would say it's probably one of the most uh, important aspects of diabetes care when it comes to the home setting or even outside of the home. Now, Are there any particular devices on the market that make it easier for clients to remember to check their blood glucose or one that provides multiple functionalities? We're just thinking Mm. of making lives easier here when it comes to caring for our health in the home setting. 
great question. And, you know, I think the first thing we need to ask is whether people need to be monitoring at all. And if they have a low risk of hypoglycemia and falls and they're not frail, then they may not need to monitor at all, depending on their treatment regimen. We now have so many options for blood glucose monitoring. You know, we can prick fingers. We have blood glucose meters with memories, others that connect to smartphones that create a blood glucose diary automatically. And then, of course, we have this glucose sensing technology, both intermittently scanned and real-time CGM, that allows that real granular information to be collected. It all comes down to that assessment of functional independence that we've spoken about previously. And the device used is irrelevant if the patient doesn't have the knowledge and skills to not only collect the data, but also to understand it and its purpose. For those with vision impairments, we can utilise other tools such as talking blood glucose meters and glucose sensor technology. And CGM technology can be really useful when we need that really detailed information about glucose patterns and the risk of hypoglycemia. Sometimes we have to weigh up the benefits versus the risk of using blood glucose monitoring and we need to consider other ways to do things. We need to think about including carers, but really simple tools are often the best when support is limited. That sounds great. Now, just um, touching back again on, I suppose, the topic of elderly clientele. What services are available out there to help them when it comes to diabetes care at home? I suppose um, off the top of my head, I can think maybe NDIS, maybe DVA. Are there any organisations in particular that excel when it comes to this kind of um, management aspect? Yeah, look, I think uh, diabetes management itself seems to be absorbed into the services that many providers can offer. Uh, there are lots of support services in the community and they're typically driven by one of two, one of two or three funding models. Uh, for those people over 65 years of age, my aged care is the primary source of funding. And for those under 65 years, that funding can also come from NDIS if they have a disability. And of course, DBA provides funding to war veterans and their, and their dependents as needed. And, and their level of support is really quite outstanding. This type of assessment is really important as those processes and the levels of service that can be accessed really depend on that funding stream that's used. Uh, services can include domiciliary nursing, which may, which may supervise medication taking, wound management. Uh, and then there are those more support type of services, things for cooking and cleaning and assistance to attend appointments and go shopping. I think there are two really important things to remember when it comes to support services. And the first is that those people who can't inject a medication in their own home can be classified as high-level care through these services. And that funding stream is actually intended for nursing homes. And, and we're always wanting to support independence as much as we can. So in a scenario where you have a person taking multiple daily injections of insulin or a GLP-1 might be mixed up in their medication regimen, we really want to try and address that complexity and that polypharmacy to reduce the need for support. And there are many ways that we can do that. The second thing I really think is important to remember is 
is that we don't overlook the burden that carers experience in this process. I think we've all seen those very, very stressed carers who are, they're, they're often middle-aged, they have families, they're working and they have ageing parents that they're looking after as well. So emergency support for carers should not be overlooked. And there are great organisations out there like Lifeline and Carer Gateway or Wellways, which can help with that support for the carers and can actually provide physical funding support as well in the emergency. My final tip relates to home medication reviews and what's called meds checks. So in the past, uh, the chronic disease management plans could facilitate a home medicines review where a pharmacist actually visited a person at home and had a look at all of their medication, how they were using it, what it was intended for, whether their interactions for the medications, and then also just have that look at home to see whether they're doing the things that we think they should be, that we hope we've taught them. Nowadays, home medicines reviews are a little bit harder to get. The government has restricted access to those. So the alternative to that for somebody who is mobile is to organise what's called a diabetes meds check through a pharmacy. Anybody who has diabetes who's taking five or more medications is eligible for these meds checks. And both the meds check and the home medicines review are supported by Medicare. So the cost to the individual is usually negligible. Both of those things are great when you have patients with multiple medical conditions, lots of polypharmacy. If you're really worried, I will often just tell the family to go and ask the pharmacy for a, for a diabetes meds check. And that means you don't have to wait for them to get paperwork to be done. So hopefully there are some useful kernels of information there. Definitely. That's very insightful. I think a lot of these services might be a bit underutilized and it's probably because of the fact that we don't get exposed to them very much. So it's always good to think, sort of yeah. get them all packages up like that. Thanks, Peter. I think that, and I think that's really true. And look, I, I guess I've, I've left private health insurance off this list because it because it does tend to be very hit and miss. But if you you know if you know that you have clients who have worked hard and, and are self funded retirees, they may have private health insurance to offer some of these services as well. Excellent. Now let's let's turn our attention to CDEs. Um, mm. Can you tell me a bit about um, I guess how can CDEs play a, a more proactive role when it comes to promoting diabetes care at home and emphasising its importance to their clients. I think this is a really good example of where CDAs demonstrate our skills and knowledge because a CDA will be, through their assessment, immediately aware of risk factors for things like hyperglycemia, falls, frailty, nutrition, cognition, and really importantly, quality of life. A CDA can develop a management plan for sick days and hypoglycemia so that the individual and their carers have immediate access to clear instructions in an emergency. And we can communicate how our patients are coping with self-management as part of the multidisciplinary team. We can do that through our correspondence with referring doctors. We can finally identify medicines that increase the risks of hypos and falls. We can suggest them an exercise regimen focused on ability, or we can recommend referrals to an exercise physiologist or a dietitian. There's a lot that we can do just purely within our scope of practice. It's a, it's a really nice job for a diabetes educator, in my opinion. Okay, now still on the role of CDEs and also, I suppose, mm. tapping into your vast experience uh, in the field, um, how can CDEs incorporate this aspect of diabetes care into consults? You know, CDEs do so much and have so many things to focus on during a half an hour or 45-minute consult. 
how can how can they incorporate as a part of this management in there somewhere? Mm, and look, I, I come back to the assessment every time. You know, a, a, a simple structured self-management assessment is going to identify a whole range of things that aren't just about diabetes. And that assessment can be done at anybody at any age. I think sometimes it's difficult to know what's happening at home. Uh, and if the capacity is there to do house calls, they're really valuable. Uh, but it isn't always there. And sometimes those clues come out as you get to know the family. Uh, I'll give you an example. I have a, a lovely elderly man that I've been seeing lately. He's from Guernsey in the UK and he and his wife have not that long ago immigrated to Australia. Um, they're both in their mid to late 80s and despite a 50-year history of type 1 diabetes, this gentleman has had no exposure to a diabetes educator. Where they were living in Guernsey, there were no endocrinologists, so their diabetes care was really patchy. And you could liken it to people who live in remote and regional areas of Australia. They had developed what I call adaptations and survival skills because they just had never had the input that we would like them to have. And there were lots of bad habits. Extra doses of insulin were causing hypos. Then we were using um, alarms on a monitoring device that were triggering hypo management when the blood glucose level was still in the normal range. Uh, all sorts of odd things come out. And, and this is where our conversational skills are so important and that assessment just makes all makes the world of difference. Now, are there any resources available for CDEs to tap into um, when it comes to upskilling themselves on this area of management or do we know of any patient resources that CDEs can give out to clients during consults if we want them to do a bit more homework, if you will? Yeah, great question. Look, in preparing for today's podcast, I found a lot of really useful resources for both clinicians and for people living with diabetes. And I've developed a short collection of guidelines and resources that will complement the podcast. Uh, and we're going to upload those to the learning management system along with the podcast. Uh, in particular, I've included some information from the RACGP, ADS, Diabetes Canada. There's also great information from the American Diabetes Association. Their uh, standards of care include a chapter on older adults, I think it's chapter 13, for clients. Uh, and people living with diabetes at home, uh, the NDSS has some fabulous consumer resources. One really important guideline that I haven't mentioned here in great detail is the McKellar guideline, which offers additional resources for both community and residential aged care. And that one's very helpful as well. That'd be much appreciated, Peter. Thanks so much. Because I, I believe, like I said earlier, it, it's an area of management that can be overlooked sometimes. And so having that... Mm. that um, resource that you've um, provided to us will be much appreciated by most, um, certainly a lot of our CDEs as well. Now, uh, my final question to you is, I suppose if there's any further advice or comments that you'd like to give to our listeners, we've we've got a lot out of you in this podcast and I feel like um, if there's anything that you could uh, tell our listeners, again, given your experience in the field and working with clients about this, um, this uh, area of management. Mm, sure. Look, I think from my experience, one strategy I'm going to recommend is to suggest that if our clients are over the age of 65, we should start to talk to them about My Aged Care because if you're not um, registered with My Aged Care, when you need services, it's an obstacle. When you register to My Aged Care, you get an identifying number and that identifying number is used to access all of the other services that we talked about earlier. And sadly, the fact is we don't know when we're going to become ill. So I think getting that in place will just make it easier 
for both the person that we're, we're, we're trying to help, but also their families if emergency support and care is needed. I think also we really need to make sure that we're including the whole person and that means their family and their carers. And those carers can come in all different shapes and sizes. We need to be including those people to find out what supports are available, find out what's in place and find out which gaps we need to fill. I think families really need to have frank discussions around how much time they can they can actually give to support older relatives with diabetes. And this comes down to that burden of caring that I was talking about before. Um, it's really hard work. And we've all come across families that you can just see they're just stretched like an elastic band about to break. And I think, you know, encouraging those discussions is really important. Um, social workers are available in the community, not easy to find, but most GPs will know where to find one. That can be great if you have a family who's dynamics are perhaps not constructive um, or if there are really complex needs for multiple medical conditions. And don't forget, you know, if our clients have other chronic conditions, for example, dementia or Alzheimer's, cancer, uh, respiratory conditions, there are fabulous organisations that provide funding for those conditions and they will often have a really good understanding of how to access support and funding that's specific to those other chronic conditions. And of course, any time we improve the health of an individual for any health condition, we're improving the health of their diabetes as well. My last kernel of wisdom is don't try to do it alone, to seek out help, whether it's from your GP, your diabetes educator, or one of those very large organisations that I was just talking about. There's plenty of help out there. That's wonderful, Peter. Thanks again for all your uh, information and your wisdom. Um, I think it's been um, it's been a great topic to talk about. You know, it's great to have someone like yourself with so much experience to actually guide us and um, point out all the various resources and the ways in which we can help clients. So thanks again so much. My pleasure, DR. Thanks for inviting me and thanks to ADEA and today's sponsor, Pharmaco. To all of our listeners, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. In order to get your CPD points um, for this episode, complete the uh, feedback and evaluation form and you should be able to download your certificate. Until next time, thanks again and take care.